have a, something to write with, and you've got your worksheet, and you're turning to Nehemiah chapter 6. That's where we'll be tonight. Nehemiah chapter 6. And um, we're looking forward to what God has for us. You probably wondered, what in the world uh, is this feather for? Uh, well, if, if your pen runs out of ink, if you'll break open the plastic ink and dip the quilt, no, I'm kidding, uh, you'll find out later on what the feather's all about. And uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, I want to remind you as well, we are starting to post these. We've been posting the studies, but we've been posting the uh, worksheets online now. You can download those on PDF um, probably the next week after we have the study. If you miss a week and you want to go back and catch up, uh, you'll have those available uploaded um, today's or, or last Wednesday's today. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're looking at tonight a study we're calling Nehemiah Under Attack. Uh, at the very... Uh, first part of your learner's guide there, there's a little riddle or a little <laughs> something for you to figure out. So take a moment, uh, read through that paragraph and see, don't, don't say it out loud, but write your answer in that blank. Who do you think that is? Uh, go ahead and read that first paragraph and see if you can figure out who that's talking about. Looks like some of you are finding that a bit challenging. All right, let's read it. I'm going to read it out loud and we'll see. It says, Who am I? I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing. I break hearts and ruin lives. I am cunning and malicious and gather strength the older I am alive. The more I am quoted, the more I am believed. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no name and no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. I topple governments and wreck friendships. I ruin careers and cause sleepless nights and heartaches. I make innocent people cry in their pillows. Even my name hisses. I make headlines and headaches. I am nobody's friend. I am called... Gossip. You got it. Some of you got it. I am called gossip. When you start putting that all together, that really puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Now, gossip, of course, about someone is a form of opposition. And Nehemiah has faced opposition. He's been plagued with all kinds of opposition, both from without, outside, and on the inside. And uh, I've included that chart again tonight. I want to review because it sets the stage again for what we're looking at. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are all about opposition. Look at that chart again with me. Look at the resistance he faced in chapter 4. Sanballat and Tobiah angrily ridiculed Nehemiah. Uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and a coalition of Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashdodites threatened an attack. The Israelites became discouraged and fearful. Chapter 5. Some of the Jewish officials took advantage of the poor by charging exorbitant interest rates and seizing their property. We studied that last time, if you remember. Trouble from within with their own people. And then tonight we come to chapter 6, and we're going to see Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem tried to distract Nehemiah with offers to meet and talk. Sanballat spread slanderous reports that Nehemiah intended to make himself a king. And Shemaiah, the subordinate of Tobiah and Sanballat, tried to convince Nehemiah to be a coward and break God's law by hiding in the temple. It seems just day in, day out, week in, week out, all Nehemiah was experiencing, it seemed, was opposition. But try and try as they might, the, uh, Nehemiah would not quit. 
uh, try as hard as the uh, enemies and God's enemies could to get the work on those walls to stop. They could not accomplish it. In fact, we come to chapter 6 tonight. I want you to notice the very first verse. I want you to notice that they're almost through. Uh, and so what's going to happen is the enemies of Nehemiah, God's enemies, are going to make an all-out attack tonight to try to get the work to stop. Nehemiah chapter 6, and I'll begin reading at verse number 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall, that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, so notice where we are in the story. Notice how far they've gotten. They've been rebuilding this wall, and it says there in verse number one that they heard that we've been rebuilding the wall. There were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors in the gates. So they were right at the point of hanging those doors where they could actually close up the wall and seal off the city. And so what the enemies decided to do, they decided to go for Nehemiah himself. As as James Montgomery Boyce said, it was an old ploy. It was sack the quarterback, as a coach often tells his defensive line, or shoot the officer, uh, as uh, a commander will sometimes tell his troops. In other words, if you go for the top man... If you take out the leader, then everything else will come tumbling down. And one of the ways they're going to go after him is through slander. The gossipers will have their tongues a-wagging in just a few minutes. And we talked about from the very get-go just how uh, terrible gossip is and how horrible it is and the effects that it brings about. And so Nehemiah's here. He's facing opposition. He has to face emotional opposition and mental uh, opposition. But he also has to literally face opposition and losing his own life. They wanted this man dead. Now, I want you to think about these words. I put a quote there from Cyril Barber uh, on your paper. It's on the top of, what is that, page uh, two? And let's look at that quote for a moment. Let's talk about that. It says, some Christians have the idea that if they live for the Lord and do what is right, he will screen them from all adversity. So they attribute trials or testings to some sin they may have committed. And as a result, they spend their lives laboring under feelings of guilt and unworthiness. I got a couple questions I want us to think about tonight. Number one, for the Christian, do all trials and testings come as a result of sin? Okay, most people are saying no. Now, we know ultimately all trials and testings in life are because of sin, right? But we're talking about in the Christian's life, when you're facing trials and burdens and testings, no doubt with a group this size, pretty much everyone in here probably has some burden, some problem, something you're bearing right now. They don't always come as a result of sin, right? Now, let me ask you this question. Notice it. Why do some Christians think that they do? You ever know anybody that's like that? They, they feel like that... Uh, the trials and testings and burdens that come is because of some sin in their life. And so they are constantly um, you know, belittling themselves and beating themselves up and, and doing those sorts of things. Why do some Christians believe that all trials and testings that they have to experience come as a result of sin? It's a quiet bunch tonight. <laughs> Question a lot is how could he just forgive me and forget about my sins? Okay. And so you still think of the things that you did. Okay. And I'll, and then when something bad would happen, I would think, well, is that because I used to do this or I did that? And so you still keep thinking of things from the past. Okay, that's a good point. You know, 
Many times God forgives us, and it's buried in the sea of his forgiveness, but we won't actually receive his forgiveness and even forgive ourselves, will we? And we hang on to those things, so we're always pointing back. We're always living in the past. All right, it's a very good point, Sherry. Anybody else have any comments on that? Well, a lot of times, as new Christians, we think, we hear, you know, God is, God is good, and he wants good things for us, but he also is a just God. If we do something wrong, he's going to punish us. Mm-hmm. So the natural thing is, when something goes wrong in our life, God's punishing us. Okay. We've done something wrong. And we do know that the Lord chastens him he loves. He disciplines us. But we, if we're not careful, we'll automatically equate every trial, every testing to God's chastening in our lives. Now, God will use everything in our lives. We know that. But we know that it's not always a result of sin. Okay, good comments. Anybody else? Okay. Sometimes, in other words, it's not necessarily a sin, but it's a bad choice. Okay? Okay, and there are consequences. Okay? All right, well, if we, we, we understand that not all trials and testings come as a result of sin, how does Nehemiah's example illustrate this? In other words, we look at Nehemiah's life, we look at what he's going through, how does that illustrate for us tonight that all testings and trials do not come as a result of personal sin? Alright, he was a man of God. Let's write some of these up here. And even and when he was having adversity, he still focused on the goal and serving God. Yes. I mean, he didn't fall back like some people must, you know, like okay. I fall back into Alright, so he's a man of God. He focused on the goal that God had given him. What else? How does his life illustrate this? If you want to talk to someone who's going through a lot of trials and testings and They've looked at their life and they just say, you know, I don't know what sin it may be. I just don't know what's going on. Could you take the book of Nehemiah now and take chapters 4, 5, and 6 and, and even the chapters we've studied prior to that from chapter 1 through chapter 6 and begin helping them understand that not all trials and testings come because of sin. What else would you say? Would you add to this list? Well, he's not had big, heinous sin in his life. Yet we're not told of... Okay, we're not told of any any huge amount of sin, right? I mean, we think of David's life. Did David have some some? <laughs> what, what we term now, and by the way, are there little sins and big sins? It's sin. Now the consequences are greater, right? And and uh, the the punishment that we might have to endure may be greater, the chastening. But we know that sin is sin. All right, so that's a good point. What else? When you try to do something, especially for the Lord. There's going, there will be people that oppose you. Okay. Bad things can happen if people mm-hmm. oppose you. So we would, we would probably say the enemy. We think about our enemy. Uh, we think about Satan and his cohorts and those who just are opposed. And some people that we find in life are just going to, to be that way anyway. That's just the way they are. And the, yeah, they're just going to persecute. They're just going to, to beat down others. Uh, there are those who are always going to vote no. There's always always going to be the naysayer uh, unless God does a wonderful work in their life. Well, what else would you say about him? There's one big one I'm thinking about. You, you kind of hit all around it and touched on it. But if we remember where he is, he is in the center of what? God's will. Now, remember where he came from. 
When we first meet Nehemiah, where is he? Serving the king. Yeah, he's serving the king. He's the king's cupbearer. Uh, he's living a life of luxury and palatial settings. It wasn't uh, a job without danger. I mean, his job was basically a poison tester. That's what he did. He tasted the food and the wine and made sure that nobody's trying to do away with the king. Uh, but it, it had its perks. And, uh, and, and so we find it there, and he hears word about how bad things are. And so he gets permission from the king, and he goes, and he makes this journey. Uh, we learned last week, I believe it was, that uh, he'd been paying his own uh, uh, way in many ways, feeding people. Uh, he wasn't taking the governor's salary. Uh, he was in the center of God's will, doing God's work. And so we get there and there, all this kind of focus on the same thing. He was focused on the goal. He's focused on God's will. He was doing exactly what God called him to do. And in the midst of that... In the midst of that, the opposition was overwhelming at times, wasn't it? But he didn't let it overwhelm him. I think I would have been overwhelmed. I think I would have been ready to give up. But Nehemiah didn't, and we're going to see some things about that as we study tonight. Listen, the Lord Jesus was in the center of God's will, right? He's God in the flesh, Emmanuel. What did they do with Jesus? They nailed him to a cross, didn't they? They killed him. Yes, he was tempted in all points. Exactly. You read it, it was in Matthew chapter 4. He was led of the Spirit to be tempted, and Satan and all of his gall and boldness, he tempts the Lord Jesus. And when you are in the center of God's will, that's when you're most vulnerable to yes. Satan because he knows. Yes. He wants your soul. Yes. And here's the thing about it. If we're not careful and we're doing God's will and we're doing God's work, when that opposition comes, if we don't understand these truths, that's when we're ready to give up. That's when I'm ready to wave the right flag and say, man, I've done all this stuff. I've tried to be faithful to God. Why is all this happening? Well, many times it's happening because you're in the center of God's will and you're being faithful to the Lord. And Nehemiah is not the only character we could use to illustrate that from God's word over and over and over and over. And God is working. God is, is, is working in their lives. If you meet someone and you find that they're a person that says, you know, it's just all this sin in my life, you know, Help them. You know, is there sin you need to repent of? You know, is the Lord chasing you? But if that's not the case, is this the enemy at work? Uh, is this the world coming up against you? Now, we're going to see tonight that Nehemiah is under attack. And the enemy's out to get him. And remember this now. Nehemiah is a real man with real emotions, real flesh and blood, uh, just like us. And his example can help us when attacks come our way. I put a little quote in there. You've probably heard it said. That the only way to avoid criticism and all the things that come with it is to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. The only way to avoid criticism is to say nothing, do nothing, and be nothing. Uh, I guess if you didn't know anybody crawled up under a rock somewhere, we know if we didn't say anything or do anything, they'd still say, well, look at him up there crawling on that rock just sitting there doing nothing, right? Criticism is going to come no matter what realm of life you're in, no matter what it is that you're doing. People will criticize the way uh, certain people parent or or certain uh, ways people do things or a certain way they dress or uh, the certain way they come into a, a room. I mean, the certain way they wear their hair and their clothes and on and on and on and on. Criticism is a part of life. Um, if you say or do anything, more than likely someone has some criticism uh, to come back uh, concerning what you're doing. And this is especially true if you're in any way, shape, or form in leadership. 
We've talked about in this Nehemiah study that leadership is more than just an official position that you're paid or a vocation or election. We're leaders in many different ways, shapes, and forms. You might be a leader as a parent or a grandparent. You may be a leader in a Sunday school class. You may be a leader somewhere else. Your job may entail leadership responsibilities. And so leaders are prime targets for criticism and gossip and slander. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. People in leadership must live on the yo-yo of public opinion, under the gun of verbal jabs, as well as on the crest of great admiration. It's when we are under verbal attack of the intimidating public that we show our colors. And I want you to know, men and women, Nehemiah shows his colors here, and they're as bright as ever. If you don't want to be criticized, then you probably don't want to be a leader, because being a leader just pretty much puts a target on you to be criticized and to be uh, judged. Now, let me ask you a quick question before we move on here. Is all criticism bad? No. No. There's a certain thing we call what? It's a little constructive criticism. Now, what? There, I guess we could say it this way. There's destructive criticism and there's constructive criticism. What's the difference? I didn't have this in my notes, but let's just talk it out for a moment. What's the difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism? Okay, good. Very good. Okay, that's good. All right, anybody else got anything on that? I think one of the things, and you're, you're absolutely right, Debbie, constructive is building up and offering solutions, whereas destructive is just tearing down. What do most people like to offer? Destructive. I think it goes back to this. I think it goes back to your motive of what, why you're saying what you're saying. Are you seeking to help that person out of love? Or are you seeking to harm that person? That's the difference. Now, I'll be honest with you, and I think most people would be agree. Even if it's constructive criticism, is that always easy to accept? No. It is not for me. Do we need constructive criticism? Yes. What can constructive criticism do for us? Humble us. All right. It humbles us. It fine-tunes us. It fine-tunes us. It sharpens us as iron sharpens iron. It improves us, doesn't it, if we'll receive it. Now, we can, we can reject it and say, they just hate me. They don't, love, they, don't know, they don't love me. They're not interested in me. And a lot of times you can tell from what the person's saying what their motive is. And listen, even when it's destructive criticism... There are many times a kernel of truth in there that if you'll begin to sift through all the junk, and you have to do that when people are offering destructive criticism and gossip and slander, to see, is there any truth to this? Is there any way that God wants to grow me and change me? Now, we know that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and these guys, they're not, up to, they're not out to build up Nehemiah and sharpen him as iron sharpens iron and hold him up and, and be a blessing to them, are they? They are there to tear him down. And they attacked him in several areas. And I want to go through these areas with you tonight. So let's look at the different areas that they attacked Nehemiah. First of all, as we start getting into this passage, and I want you to notice that they attacked his mission. They attacked his mission. Let's begin looking at the passage there. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. Now it happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, 
Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, notice that, we're clear on who this is, heard that I had rebuilt the wall, and he's speaking there, you know, as a representative of the people. He obviously knew that others had helped him. He's acknowledged that. And that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates. That Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. But they sought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Now drop down to verse number 10. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, and the son of Mehabel, who was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come to kill you. And I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way in sin, so that they might have cause for an evil report, that they might reproach me. They tried to get him, first of all, to compromise by coming to the plains of Ono. And Nehemiah, being a wise person, being a a, a person guided by God, many scholars said when they said, let's go to the plains of Ono, uh, Nehemiah said, oh no, uh, I'm not going to go there. Uh, He realized that uh, they were out to do uh, bad things for him. Now, they they set the stage. This is kind of like going to be a peace treaty. Uh, Let's dialogue. Uh, Let's get along. Let's talk this thing through, Nehemiah. Let's get on the same page. I know we've had our bumps in the road, but let's get together and let's talk this thing out. Sounds good. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But you know what? Many scholars believe, and I'm probably Nehemiah believed, and I believe that they were seeking to kill him. They were seeking to remove him from the city. If they didn't kill him, they were seeking to attack the city while the leader was away. Nehemiah refused to meet with them. But you know what? Our enemy and our enemies, they do not give up very easily. I want you to notice what it says in verse 4, if you didn't catch it before. They sent me this message, how many times? Four times. So, you go to the mailbox, there's an invitation. Come to the plains of Ono. Let's talk, let's dialogue, let's get together. I'm not going. Next day, go to the mailbox again. Come on, let's go, let's go. Third day, let's go. Fourth day, let's go. And Nehemiah says, no. So they move on. They decide to take another approach. And look what he did the fifth time. Verse number five. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before. So the servant comes. The servant's coming to this, this, uh, these invitations. And the fifth time, he had an open letter in his hands. Now, I want you to understand something. Back then, and even today, important documents would be sealed. They're privileged information. They were not for everyone's eyes. Especially if you're carrying it by a messenger. You know, I realize when you send a postcard, I like sending postcards. Don't you know every single postal worker reads that postcard? I would, wouldn't you? You know they do. Um, you write a little note sometimes. Dear postman, stop reading my mail. You know, just see. I have a good friend who's a postman over 10 years. I need to ask, um, ask him about that and see if he does that, if he'll admit it. But anyway, when you send it opened, that is prime for the, for the gossip pump. In other words... 
they wanted everybody to see what was in this, and they wanted word to begin to spread, because I want you to see what was written in that. Look at what verse 6 says. And it was written, it is reported. Now I want you to notice, it doesn't say from whom. It is reported among the nations. See how vague that is? It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the wall that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, There is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, and let us consult together. Now I want you to notice that they were attacking here uh, not only his mission, but they were also attacking his motives. Now, let's go back for a moment, because I want to talk about this prophet they hired before we get into this letter. In verses 10 through 13, they hired a prophet named Shemaiah. And Shemaiah came in and basically he said, listen, they're coming to kill you tonight. Let's run over to the temple and let's hide and we'll keep you safe. Now, there's two things wrong with that. Uh, Number one, imagine what it would have done to the morale of the people if their leader had taken off and left them running scared for his life. What would that have done to the people? Well, you think if you had a bunch of of soldiers out in the field, and they're battling the enemy there, and all of a sudden the commanding general turns and starts running. What would that do to the morale of those soldiers? It It would destroy their confidence. That's one thing wrong. But the second thing was, Nehemiah was not a priest. And I want you to notice it was not just staying out at God's house. It was going in there... Uh, verse number number 10, let us close the doors of the temple. Uh, it says the house of God within the temple. The idea there is the holy place. Now, Nehemiah was not a priest and he could not enter to the holy place. Listen to Numbers 18.7. Therefore, you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for everything at the altar and behind the veil. And you shall serve. I give your priesthood to you as a gift for service. But the outsider... Who comes near shall be put to death. Remember, it was the priest's job to minister within the temple. And back when it was the tabernacle, Nehemiah was not a priest in that sense. He was a government official. And if he'd entered in, he would have been sinning. And so Nehemiah did not follow this ungodly counsel. He did not follow Shemaiah, who was this false prophet. Now, Nehemiah's response gives us three things to help us when we're listening to counsel. Uh, determining good counsel from bad counsel. And so I want to share this with you. First of all, does the counsel you're receiving, somebody's giving you advice, does that counsel violate your character? Does it violate your character? What is character? I think as D.L. Moody said, character is what you are in the dark. It's who you truly are. You can put on an act. You can put on whatever you want to put on. Character is who you really are. And if that counsel violates your character, it's bad counsel. If that counsel uh, forces you to do things that are not Christ-like, it's bad counsel. Secondly, does the counsel contradict, you might want to write this word in, does it contradict Scripture? Does it contradict Scripture? You see, any counsel that goes against God's Word is bad counsel. If it goes against this book, it's bad, leave it alone. Leave it there, don't obey it. The sad thing is, many believers, they don't come here... They go everywhere else looking for every other counsel. And they're many times sad to say we're looking for what we want to hear. 
We're looking for somebody to confirm what we've already decided to do in the first place. So we can just find somebody. Oh, I think she's more spiritual than I am. But listen, we need to judge and, and be wise in judging all those counsel by the word of God and his counsel. If it contradicts scripture, which Shemaiah did, hey, come, let's hide in the temple. I'm not hiding the temple. That is wrong. That's sin. And thirdly, does the counsel hinder your commitment? Does it hinder your commitment? Does it hinder what God has called you to do? Does it take you out of a place of service? Does it take you out of a place where God wants you to be? If so, it is bad counsel. As um, I think this was Stephen David, I've got the footnotes there. He said, if yes is the answer to any of these questions, the counsel should not be heeded. So they try to get him off mission. And now they're attacking his motives. We just read that in verses five through nine. Here's what's going on. It's been rumored. We've heard. We've heard that really what's going on is you're rebuilding the walls because you want to be king. Now, how hurtful do you think this was to Nehemiah? Now, think about it. He came from a life of luxury and opulence and palatial surroundings. Uh, Verse number one or chapter one, verse 11 says at the very end of that verse. For I was the king's cupbearer. And then we learned last time in chapter 5, verse 14. Look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 14. From the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah from the 20th year until the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the governor's provisions. In other words, I didn't take the governor's salary. Look at verses 16 and 17. Indeed, I also continued the work on this wall and we did not buy any land. In other words, we didn't try to build up our real estate holdings and take advantage of the situation. All my servants were gathered there for the work. And at my table were 150 Jews and rulers besides those who came to us from the nations around us. Listen, Nehemiah is a true servant leader. (laughs) If you want to be a true leader, a godly leader, you're going to be a servant leader. You're going to serve others. I realize as a pastor, I'm going to be a servant leader. You know, our deacons that serve here, they're servants to this body, to this congregation. We're not to lord it over. We're not to say, look at us, we're something. We're servant leaders. Nehemiah proved that over and over and over again. And now they send this open document for all the world to see saying, listen, here's what's really going on. Here's his real motive. He wants to be king. He wants to be somebody. He wants to exalt himself. Was that Nehemiah's goal? No. His goal all along was the glory of God and the good of these people. That was his whole goal. Now listen, leaders are often misunderstood and judged very harshly. Uh, Leaders are looked upon with suspicion, and, and I think we need to be very careful who we follow and make sure they are godly people. But think about how hurtful it is for a godly person who's seeking the good of the people and the glory of God to be accused of having such ulterior motives. These enemies were doing it on purpose. They were seeking to attack his motives and bring him down. They wanted to get under Nehemiah's skin. Man, they were frustrated. They tried all these different things. Let's get him, let's get him, let's get him. Let's spread rumors. And by the way, this was not a very light rumor. Because back then, kings, you know, if they found that you're trying to usurp their throne or take their place... Yeah, they'll just cut your head off without blinking. I mean, it was a tough time. Look, I would have hated to be a king, by the way. Everybody's always going after you. Uh, but anyway, I don't have to worry about that anyway. Uh, but listen, this was a tough time. And Nehemiah hears that. 
So they attacked his mission. They attacked his motives. And I think, thirdly, I would say it this way. They attacked his mind. They attacked his mind. Look at verse number 9. For they all were trying to make us afraid, saying, Their hands will be weakened in the work, and it will not be done. Uh, I want you to look at verse number 13. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me. And then drop down to verse 17. Also in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came to them. For many in Judah were pledged to him. So notice, some Jews, the nobles especially, they were pledged to this enemy. Why? Because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehoanan had married the daughter of Meshulam, the son of uh, Berechiah. Also, watch verse 19. They reported his good deeds before me and reported my words to him. So Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Notice it. They try to make him afraid. They try to make him afraid. They try to frighten him. In other words, they even have inside people who are reporting to Tobiah everything. Did you hear what Nehemiah did? Did you hear what he did this time? Did you hear what he did that time? And at the same time, it says what in that verse? They reported his good deeds before me. In other words, there were those Jewish nobles and leaders saying, Nehemiah, Tobiah's not so bad. You need to go. You need to talk with him. He's a good guy. We notice that they related to some people there. And they were attacking his mind. They wanted to constantly barrage him with this opposition and fear and fright and realize just how bad things were. And listen, they were playing mind games with Nehemiah. They wanted to fill his heart and mind with this. Fear. How powerful is fear? It's very powerful, isn't it? Fear can cripple a person. Fear can stop you in your tracks. Fear can make you almost forget about your faith in your God. And they wanted so much to just debilitate Nehemiah over and over and over and over and drive him down further and further and further and bring his heart and mind and life to be filled with fear. And when you get fearful, you begin to think, well, maybe they're right. And you begin to maybe think a little bit warped. Maybe, maybe I am not. Doubt yourself. Yeah, I'm doubt. Maybe I don't. I really don't want their good. Maybe I am wrong in this. Maybe they're right. Fear can cripple a person. They attacked his mission. They attacked his motives. They attacked his mind. They wanted to fill him with fear. But I love the fourth point. And that's this. They failed in their attacks. They failed in their attacks. I love this. Every way, shape, or form they could think of, they're attacking Nehemiah, and they failed. I want you to read his responses, what he said to these people. Look at verse number three. They've been sending all these messages. Come, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet. Let's go to Ono. Verse number three, I sent messengers to them saying, I love this. I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Well, uh, what about that open letter? Verse number eight. 
Then I said to him, saying, No such things as you say are being done, but you invent them in your own heart. In other words, it says it's not true. It's not true. Just went on with it. Look at verse number 11. And I said, you know, Shemaiah says, hey, come high, come high. They're going to kill you. Verse 11. Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Listen, are you allowing distractions? Are you allowing distractions to deter you from doing God's will, from doing God's mission, what God has called you to do? Listen, distractions abound today. We do have enemies. Our enemy is very real. There are those who oppose us. Uh, There are those who would oppose what we're doing as a church family. There are those who oppose me as pastor. But I have to realize, and we have to realize, that God's called us on mission. If God has given us this work to do, God is with us. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have to trust God, rely on God, and keep on going for God. But you know what? Not all distractions are evil and heinous and wicked. How many good things... Do believers let come into their lives that get in the way of God's best for them? Many times it's not an idea of good and bad. Many times it's good versus best. Think about that for a moment. In other words, there are many good things we could be doing. I mean, there's a whole host of good things we could be doing. But we can't do everything. Like it or not, we're all limited. Uh, We all have a limited time and resources and energy. Uh, We expend that regularly. We have to recharge and do some more. And so I have to look at things and I have to consider, what is God's will for me? What is God's mission? What is it He's given me to do? You have to look at that. What has He given you to do? And I see many good things, but then I want, and you want God's best for you. And many believers have let good things, not evil, heinous, sinful things, they've let good things come in and distract them from doing God's will. Many Christians, they get involved in different organizations and they get busy the organization. It might be good things, but then it, lets, it begins to pull them away from church. Or they say, well, let's begin going here as a family on the weekends and they fall out of church. Or they say, well, let's do this over here. And they begin to give up teaching and give up serving in the church. And so we find that many good things can deter us from the best things, from a mission. But listen, Nehemiah didn't let that happen. Nehemiah was resolved. I hope you love Nehemiah more after studying him as we have so far. This is quite a man. He, he was who he was because of who his God was. But we need to take some lessons home with us. I mean, we've already seen many. But I want to point out five to you very quickly. Five lessons. You face criticism. I face criticism. All of us do. What do you do when that criticism comes? That destructive criticism especially. I think number one, here's what you need to do. Stay focused on your God-given assignment. Stay focused on your God-given assignment. What was their primary uh, attack here at the very beginning? Get him off mission. Get him uh, to not focus on the wall, but focus on this meeting and dialogue and all the time away from it. Get him talking, get him on something else, fill his heart and mind with fear, on and on and on. But Nehemiah stayed focused on his God-given call. That third verse there is a great one. I sent messages to them, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. 
Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Listen, that wasn't pride and arrogance. He was telling the truth. I'm doing God's work here. I'm doing a good work. I'm not coming down. If God's called you somewhere and God has you serving and they try to distract you and criticize and harm you and everything. Listen, this time I'm doing a great work. I can't deal with you right now. Stay focused on your God-given assignment. Number two, here's another important one. Keep working even during the criticism. Keep working. It says in verse 15, the wall was finished. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the law in 52 days. Man alive. We can't even build a house 52 days, can we, hardly? They repaired the walls. The people had a mind to work. You might have said that earlier. Remember, they had a mind to work. Keep working even during the criticism. Listen, let them criticize. Let them, let them say what they want to say. You keep doing what God's called you to do. You be faithful to the task. Keep working. Number three, pray to God concerning the pain of false accusations. Concerning the pain of false accusations. Listen, verse number nine says they were trying to make us afraid. They were trying to make us afraid. Verse 14, look at what he says to the Lord here. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat according to these their works and the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Listen, Nehemiah was a man of prayer. And in the midst of all this opposition, he turned to prayer. He took it to the Lord. Now, Nehemiah was not a superhuman. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it tonight. You already know. Criticism hurts. False accusations hurt. They cut deep into you. Take those hurts to God. Don't let them fester. Don't let it become a root of bitterness in you. Don't, don't retaliate. Don't, don't launch back. You take those hurts and those people to God. That's what Nehemiah did. Pray to God concerning the pain of false accusations. Number four, here's an important one. Always give God the credit and the glory. Look at verse 16. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it, and all the nations around us saw these things. They just talked about the wall being finished. They were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. Listen, they had to admit it. That wasn't Nehemiah and those people. How in the world did they do that in 52 days? Their God was involved in that. I wonder, when people look at our lives and our church and our ministries and our testimonies and our families, do people sense and know that God is at work in them? Sometimes you actually can see God's hand in something. Yes, absolutely. And you know He's working. Absolutely. You know what's happening. He's in control. Absolutely. And, and, and it's evident here with Nehemiah and the people. Uh, now, I'm standing here tonight. I know that's God's hand at work at that. You're here tonight. God has brought you to this point. God has brought you here. Always give God the credit and the glory. Always give Him the credit and the glory. Number five, always remember to think <laughs> before speaking. Now, this goes on the opposite side because if we're not careful, we can become gossips and slanderers and tattletales and all that good stuff. And we like to feast sometimes on some juicy morsels of gossip. What is the motive for saying anything? Exactly. The motive is important. Let me give you a little little acrostic here. Alan Redpath. I have this on your paper, I think, in that third sheet. Alan Redpath once pastored Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. And their church was going through a particularly stressful time. And he gave them a simple formula to use before speaking. 
And I want to share it with you tonight. He wanted them to think. T-H-I-N-K. To think. And each letter stood for something. And it's easy to remember. T stood for this. Before you speak, consider, is it true? Is it true? How much harm is done to the body of Christ and the families and homes and businesses and everywhere by people sharing things that are not true? What do they say there in their open letter? It is reported among the nations. It's reported. Or sometimes, I heard, or did you hear? Have you ever asked somebody who does that? Maybe you know someone who's a gossip. You ever ask them when they want to share something with you? Where would you get the information from? How do you know it's true? Do you have facts? Do you have figures? Can you show it to me in writing? No. In other words, where is this coming from? Is it true? Because the past long something that's true or untrue about someone is harmful, to say the least. Is it true? H, is it helpful? Everything that's true is not helpful. We're very clever as Christians. We disguise things as prayer requests. I'm just being honest tonight, right? Now, I just want to share this with you, brother, because it's a real burden on my heart. I want you to pray about this. Did you hear about it? (laughs) (laughs) Now, that goes back to this, right? Motive. If you're burdened about something, you really want to pray about it. I mean, you're ready to storm the the throne room of God with that. You want to pray with somebody. That's one thing. But many times, we're super spiritual, and so we're going to gossip under the guise of prayer requests, right? Oh, is it helpful? I, is it inspirational? I would have put probably I, is it inspiring? In other words, does it build up? Does it help? Does it encourage the other person? Here's an important one. N, N, is it necessary? You see, not everything that's, in, that's true is necessary to share. Now, sometimes it is necessary. Sometimes, if there's some, some, sometimes we have to share. Sometimes we have to discuss something that's going on in someone's life. We have no other choice. We have to discuss it. In other words, when people sometimes will come to me and, and uh, they want to counsel, and I give them counsel, and they talk with me, and what they say to me is certainly private between them and me and God, but there are certain things I cannot keep private exclusive. If someone's being abused, if someone's breaking the law or something, that's a different story. There are certain things that are necessary we must share. Is it necessary? And then K, is it kind? Is it kind? Uh, you ever play that game, gossip? In other words, I could start up here with Toby, and I whisper a phrase or a sentence to Toby, and then she turns and she whispers it to Charlotte, and then Charlotte to Dave, and, and Dave to Argus, and then Sherry, and through the room, and, and I write down what I set up here, okay? And I have it verbatim when I read to Toby. By the time it reaches Freddie, what's happened to that information? Distorted. It is distorted. It is weird. That's one blessing. We get our, we finally get our, um, our um, phone tree finished and running. That'll be a blessing, oh. won't it? Yeah. You know, because somebody might start off with like a hurt toe and they're dead by the time it ends. No, anyway. Uh, so it'll be the same message over and over and over and over and over. If it did not pass the think test, it was not spoken to another person. We need to think before we speak. The story is told of a peasant who slandered a friend. And on discovering that he had done this and what he had actually been saying was untrue, he went to the village priest for help. I mean, he was burdened about this. He wanted to know what could he do. 
And the priest told him to take a bag of feathers. A bag of feathers. And place one feather on the doorstep of his community. Just one feather. Well, this he did. He went from doorstep to doorstep and he laid a feather out all throughout the community. And he went back to the priest and announced that he had done what he was told to do. He had done this penance for his sin. But then the priest sternly ordered him to take his bag and pick up every feather he had dropped. And this man just started saying, well, there's no way. I mean, the wind, it's already blown the feathers about. There's no way I can get those feathers back in the bag. And the priest looked at that man and reminded him that our words are like feathers. Our words are like feathers. Once they're dropped, and that's so easily, and they're carried about by the wind, there's no way to get them back. We need to think before we speak. We need to be very careful. I've given you a feather tonight to remind you of that. You take that home or go let it go tonight out in the wind. But think about that feather next time you want to speak a word. Think about it. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspirational? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it something that I should say? Or should I simply just zip my lip and go on with my life serving and honoring my God? Once again, Nehemiah has challenged us and helped us. And I hope he's done the same in your life as he has in mine. Father, we love you. Thank you for Nehemiah. Thank you for his awesome testimony. We know he wasn't a perfect man. But Lord, you used his life in an awesome way. And I praise you for that. Help us to think before we speak. Help us to use our mouths, our minds, our hearts, our motives, our bodies, our everything for your honor and your glory. Lord, I pray for those in here tonight. Maybe some are hurting because people are slandering them and people are gossiping about them. and People are hurting them. Help them to stay focused on the assignment you've given them. Help them to keep on working and laboring. Help them to bring those things in prayer to you. And Lord, help them to give you all the glory and all the honor for what you do. Help us, Lord, not to retaliate, not to, not to, to gossip back and slander back, but Lord, to give those things to you and honor you in all things. Dismiss us now in thy care and thy love. Take us safely to our homes. Watch over us. Be with us, I pray, in the Savior's name. Amen.